This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. You can subscribe to the magazine by visiting classical-music.com or to our interactive iPad edition by visiting iTunes.com. BBC Music Magazine is now an official Apple Music curator and you can listen to our exclusive playlists by visiting applemusic.com slash bbcmm. This week, we've gathered together members of the BBC Music Magazine team for First Listen, a monthly slot where members of our team chat about and rate an important new release. With me in the BBC Music studio today are acting deputy editor Rebecca Franks and editorial assistant Eleanor Cooper. Hello. Hello. This month, it's the turn of a recording of music for cello and piano by the 20th century English composer Rebecca Clark, performed by cellist Raphael Valfish and pianist John York. And it's on the Lyrita label. So is this music we'll be returning to, or will we be putting it firmly to the back of our cupboard? Let's hear the opening of the sonata for viola or cello and piano, written in 1919. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that was the opening of the 1919 Sonata for cello and piano, actually, originally uh, Rebecca written for viola, I believe. Yes, it was. Yes, so this arrangement for the cello was made by Rebecca Clark in collaboration with the cellist Mae Muckle, with whom she performed, actually. And she'd actually been on tour with her in Hawaii, where she'd started sketching the sonata in 1918. And then she finished it a year later in 1919 in Detroit. I, as a viola player, I, the Rebecca Clark sonata is one of the, the pieces you kind of, you know, it's part of the repertoire. So it was very strange in a way to hear it played on the cello. It seems to um, work very well. It seems to, uh, I mean, the, the, the performances are wonderful, really. I mean, the, the very live playing from uh, Ralfish. I think it's, um, you know, perhaps in other players' hands, it would be a little bit more ponderous, I don't know, but it seems very alive and... Yeah, there's a real intensity to his playing and, and this music, I think, as well. I mean, I must confess, I, I do miss the colours of the viola here. I think there's a very distinctive sound world you get in the lower register of the viola that doesn't come through here and also I suppose when you go into the upper register of the viola sounding more like a violin that very individual voice and that colour I think I miss that here Mm-mm. but it is a wonderful play but Eleanor for newcomers to this music I mean people wouldn't, wouldn't have heard this before this is very very individual writing isn't it Absolutely. I mean there are of course flashes of the French Impressionism and you've got the sort of the Eastern European influence as well but this is a woman who really found her voice I think it's a passionate piece it's very um, emotional and and it really um, drives it along it's very um, powerful and strong and I don't know kind of does as a listener it, it, you do get um, wrapped up in in the sound of it I think on that on the note about it being written for the video I, I do agree that in the lower registers Sometimes when when it should be the cello interact uh, the viola sorry interacting with the piano, occasionally it's, it is a bit low, and I think that I do see that that would be. Mm. And I suppose also in the disc as a whole, I don't know. Maybe a nice a, another color would have been mm. nice actually, a bit of variety in the program somehow because it is a one composer disc, a single composer disc, which is a very valuable thing to have. Mm. But in terms of the sound world, maybe it'd be nice actually to have the cello rhapsody and then the viola sonata. Well, I I agree in a way, but maybe this is an encouragement for other people to to, to discover some of some more of her work. I mean, you say she wrote 60 songs. I mean, you know, if they're anything like the music on here, I mean, I think this is a very important disc, not not just because Rebecca Clark is one of the few um, female voices that that really stand out in 20th century music, but because it's just great music. I mean, Mm -hmm. on its own, it's just brilliant music uh, and so if anybody can be encouraged to dig out some of her other music I mean you say a lot well we say a lot of it's been unpublished uh, yeah I mean the, the the work that opens the disc the Rhapsody for cello and piano which she wrote after the viola sonata that actually hasn't been published and John York and, and Raphael Valfish have here they've sort of photocopied the handwritten score and actually John York made a performing edition which will be published next year so and, you know for that this is a very valuable statement this disc. Well, shall we actually hear the uh, an extract from the Rhapsody for Cello and Piano, written uh, a little bit later uh, than the, uh, the sonata for Cello or Viola and Piano? This is, I, th- I, think, I think this is where Rebecca Clark is really sort of finding her voice, actually. It's a real, real individual sound here.
that was an extract from the first movement of the Rhapsody for Cello and Piano, written in 1923. And gosh, there's sort of everything there, isn't there? There's sort of English modal writing. There's Ravel. There's 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 Block. There's, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of influences coming crashing in to create this very inventive, very fiery piece. Yeah, I think it's quite um, full of ambiguity as well, and sort of just. Dis- it just opens with the bell, sort of bell-like sound tolling on the piano, and then this very dark sort of cello line, sort of building up, and it's very atmospheric, I thought, and much more distance actually in this in this work than in the the viola sonata. So it's kind of getting a knottier language, I think. Mm. And I think um, not only is Rebecca Clark sort of getting into her composing stride, but I think the, the musicians here, I think, seem happier oh, with this. Absolutely, I think the passion and the power with which they're playing this music really um, showcases Rebecca Clark's writing. I think, and you do get that. There's not kind of a gentle performance in any way. It's very striking. Um, and I, I love the rhythmic freedom actually mm. the fact that it doesn't seem sort of four square there's there's a real sense of bar lines just disappearing i think um and, and i love the the effects that she creates not only in the piano part which is quite obvious but i think um we're going to hear uh, an extract from the adagio which really shows some of the effects that rebecca clark writes for the cello Very beautiful writing. I think there's something quite pained about that music as well. Something very mournful. I mean, she was, she had a very difficult upbringing in life. She did. She? Yeah, she had. She was born to a German mother and American father, but he was very sort of volatile and unpredictable. And actually, she was thrown out of the family home. I think she kind of criticised his his life a bit, and so she was thrown out. No money. Had to make her own way in the world, mm. um, which she did. She was uh, Stanford's first female composition student at the Royal College of Music. And she was a touring musician. She was a viola player and particularly did a lot of chamber music performance. Um, And, you know, she really did have this fantastic musical career. And she's actually one of the first women in Henry Wood's Queen's Hall Orchestra as well. So she had, you know, she kind of, her life had lots of these pivotal moments, unmarked moments, actually. Yes, she started with Lionel Turtis as well, I see, the great violist. Um, You know, lovely to have not just a... a, um, a female writer for the viola, but such a very solid writer for the viola. You know, it's a, yeah, really, it's a great piece to play. Wonderful it's really writing. terrific. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting because when the the piece it was actually entered into this competition um, in America, and it was tied for for first place, and then the casting vote actually went against her. They were it was anonymous. I think they didn't actually give the names at the time, um, and people were trying to guess who had written it. Um, and actually, Bloch he he won, um, but she did face a lot of, of criticism and found that very difficult, I think, and people couldn't believe that a woman had written this sonata. And she actually used this pseudonym, Anthony Trent, and found that she had a more favourable response from publishers and one of her other pieces was very well received critically that was published under that name. So 
I think it was, it was a challenge for her, I think, to go against the grain. It's quite interesting, isn't it, that there was a type of music that um, women were allowed to compose. And then when they when people like Rebecca Clark compose um, large-scale works like Sonatas and this Rhapsody, um, they, they do face the criticism in the early 19, you know, in the 1920s. And um, it's amazing that she really did struggle with that, I think, didn't she? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting she wrote a lot of songs because I think songs were seen as a sort of acceptable mm. thing for women to write. Mm, and she she did also suffer from depression, which which can't have helped either. I mean, whether that was brought on by the criticism and the upbringing that she had during her life, or whether there, in fact the, the depression was a, was a, was a cause of, you know, the fact that she didn't write a huge amount of music. I mean, she wrote hardly anything when she got married. In fact, despite her husband actually actively encouraging her to write, um, you know, the, 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 I don't think this CD can come a, it comes a moment too too soon. Really, yeah, it'd be interesting. I was reading that. Um she has uh, had written an autobiography, actually, and there are her diaries, which I think must be owned by her estate. It would be wonderful if that was... Well, I assume it would be wonderful. I don't exactly know what's in it, but um, it would be very interesting to know more about her, really, in her own words. Yeah. And about why why she didn't compose anymore after she got married. Well, I think we should hear one more extract from this CD, the epilogue, fittingly, uh, which is a wonderfully tempestuous um, piece of music. So, with the epilogue uh, wrapping up, it's time for your scores. Eleanor, what are you going to give this out of 10? I'm give it 9 out of 10. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the CD. I think the only reason I wouldn't give it 10 is because I'd like to see a little bit more of a rounded view of her um, uh, or compositional output. So, to see a couple of the songs or maybe see that viola um, sonata would have been interesting. But no, I really enjoyed it. Rebecca? I'd like to give it 8 out of 10. I thought it was a really great disc. I loved the playing. Um, personal preference I'd have liked to have heard it on the viola but I think you know that's probably I shouldn't probably take two marks off of that I have um but also it was a slight mark off just for the I thought the recorded sound was very there was something quite cold and brittle about it and I would have liked a little bit more warmth there I thought so mm. that's why I'm giving it eight uh, that's pretty much the reason why I'm giving it eight. I thought this is a really valuable recording. Uh, I, I thought the performances were were terrific. Um, you know, with 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 a few reservations, but not many at all. I thoroughly enjoyed the collections of music, and I and I really can't wait to explore more of her music. So eight out of ten for me. So that gives us an average of eight point three, eight and a third. So that brings us to the end of First Listen for this month. Join us next time when we'll be exploring another new release. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.